Hey, and to those of you who are outside, good morning. To those of you who are still watching online, good morning. We miss you. We love you. If we can serve you in any way, don't uh, hesitate to let us know every week. It seems like it's somebody's first week back to church. If yours is not going to be for a long time because of your circumstance, just let us know that we can uh, how we can serve you. But for all of you in here today, man, it's so good, uh, so good to see you all today. We're in the final week of a series called Made for This. We've been in a series that has a premise and a verse. Here's the verse that we've been teaching on for the last month at our church, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This simple verse verse tells us that God created you, that he wants you to know his son, Jesus. And once you know Jesus, God has a mission for your life, which he prepared before you were even born. We believe that mission looks something like this. Four things that every person who's a follower of Jesus should have happen in their life, that you would know God, not just know about God, but that you would know him personally, that you'd be transformed, that he would change your life from who you used to be to who he wants you to become, that you would discover your purpose. We talked about that last week. Who, who did God create you to be? What did God creates you to do, and then that by doing that, you would make a difference. If you're a follower of Jesus, we think this is your pathway in life. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, one, thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here. If, we have, if, if there are any questions we could ever answer for you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to do that. But you need to know the ABCs of Christianity are right here. You say, what's it mean to be a Christian? To know the God of the universe, to let him transform your life, to figure out who he created you to be, and then to do it and to make the difference that God created you to do by doing that. Today, we're going to press on to learn how to make a difference in the last week of this series. If you have your Bible, we're in John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is where we'll hang out today. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. All the notes will be on the screen so that you can read them. You can fire up your journey app or um, a Bible app to follow along with us today. Pull your notes out so that you can take notes as we go along. Here's what we're hoping to accomplish today. Here's what I'm hoping you will learn in our Bible study time. Number one, that you'll see the importance of including Jesus in your everyday life, that you will, number two, see the importance of serving Jesus in the small areas of life on an everyday basis, and to learn that by serving others, you are actually serving Jesus. If you are doing what God created you to do, regardless of who you are doing it for, when you serve others, you are serving Jesus if you are doing what he created you to do. Those are the things that we're going to try to look towards today. We're going to try to figure out a little bit today. It is day 15, you heard Lauren say, of our 21 days of prayer. Uh, if you've got your prayer journal today, we would be on pages 34 and 35. What we're asking those of you who have been praying with us uh, for the last 14 days to do is to make sure you take these two pages and fill them out today before you come or get online tomorrow at 6 a.m. to pray with us. This basically lets you take your calendar and pray over every important thing in your calendar, not just the events, but the emotions that you have as you head towards them, how you're feeling, the people that you're going to interact with. Um, this is our favorite day of prayer, coming together on Monday morning prayer to give our entire week to God before we live one minute of it. So pages 34 and 35 are where we'll be. We're going to celebrate day 15 of prayer by just having a short prayer time here together. So would you bow your heads here? For those of you outside, would you bow your heads real quick? Would you take a deep breath if you've not done that yet today? And I'm going to ask you to pray three specific things. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you pray, you can just pray in your heart. You don't have to pray out loud. Would you first pray that God would speak to you today? Would you just pray that simple prayer? Ask God to speak to you today and to tell you what he wants you to hear. My hope is every Sunday when you come to church, you're not looking forward to hearing from me. You're looking forward to hearing from God. Ask God to speak to you today. Secondly, ask God to sanctify you. 
You say, what's that mean, sanctify? It, it literally means to set apart, to move from one place to another. The spiritual sanctification means moving from who you used to be to who God wants you to be. Ask that God would help you take one step forward today. Jesus said in John 17, 17, that we would be sanctified by the truth, which means when we study the Bible, we learn how to move forward spiritually. We want that to happen today. And then third, pray and ask God to show you if there's an area of your life that you need to surrender. We're going to talk about that word surrender today. Just ask God to show you if there's anything you're supposed to surrender. If you're a follower of Jesus who already knows what you're supposed to surrender and you're not, ask that maybe God would give you the courage to reconsider and make a commitment to surrender that thing that he's been talking to you about. Father, that's our prayer, that you'd speak to us, not my words, but yours today, that you would sanctify us, that you'd move us forward in your plan for our life. God, that if there's an area that we need to surrender, that you would show it to us. Lord, let those things happen today, and let the Chiefs beat the Ravens tomorrow night on Monday Night Football. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Now we dig into um, Scripture. That last part was just in case old Patrick Mahomes needs it. Um, Next week, we start a brand new series in the book of Matthew called The Way of Jesus. If you've ever said, man, I'd really like to know what it was like to be a follower of Jesus. I'd really like to understand the teaching of Jesus. I'd really like to understand the life of Jesus. I really want to live the way Jesus lived. We'll start a 10-week series next week going through the Beatitudes, and we'll look at the counterculture way that Jesus said his followers should live. When we're done with that, we'll stay in the book of Matthew for more than a year together, just studying every verse of the book, learning the ways of Jesus so we can live life like Jesus. Matthew was one of four men who wrote stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. John was another one. That's where we are today. We're not going to study all the book of John, but you need to know this about the book of John. If you have your Bible, you might just put next to John, put the number seven. But the number seven, um, not standing for John Elway, but John the Apostle, if you remember it that way, number seven, John wrote his book in a series of sevens. So in the book of John, we see seven places where Jesus makes an I am statement. So we understand who Jesus is through the book of John, through Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life, through Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, through Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, through Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's seven of them. We understand who Jesus is and how Jesus teaches because there are seven sermons that Jesus gives in the book of John, seven different discourses. The last one of those is in John 16 when he teaches his followers, who the Holy Spirit is. But there's seven sermons divided up in the book that teach us who Jesus is. And there's seven miracles, seven signs in the book of John that are given to us so that the people who are reading this book believe that Jesus was more than a man, that he was God, that he was supernatural. We're going to study the first of those signs today in John chapter 2. John, after these signs were given, would always say this sign was given so people would believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. In John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Here's what we read as we learn about Jesus. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew 
uh, knew where it had come from. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guest have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. As we talk about ending this series and pressing on to make a difference, learning how to live in a manner that makes a difference spiritually, what we learn in John chapter 2 are three practices that people who live making a difference, if you haven't looked yet, the title of our Bible study today is Making a Difference. What we learn is that people who live their life making a difference spiritually all have three things in common. If you are making a difference spiritually, these things will be true in your life if you want to make a difference spiritually. All you've got to do is begin to implement these things in your life. What are they? Three practices that we're going to look at today. Number one, people who live their life making a difference for Jesus include Jesus in their everyday life. They include Jesus in their everyday life. I want you to see John chapter 2 because something happens that I don't think any of us have ever anticipated spiritually. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, of all the things you've ever anticipated that Jesus would ask you to do, I bet you've never thought you would get a text message from Jesus saying, hey, you want to hit up my cousin's wedding this week. Um, The disciples, I mean, the disciples did lots of ministry with Jesus. They did did synagogue ministry, like on the weekend. They did small group ministry. They did outreach ministry. They did temple ministry. They fed the poor. They had kind of a community impact center. They did medical missions type stuff where Jesus would heal people. Like they did all the Christian stuff that we did too, but they also just hung out with Jesus every day. Like, could you imagine on a Friday morning getting a text message from Jesus saying, hey, want to hit up a football game tonight? If you did, you would think like, why? Is there someone there we got to give a track to? Like, is there someone there we got to invite to church? Is there someone there who needs healing? And Jesus said, no, I just just thought we would hang out. We never picture ourselves just hanging out with Jesus in everyday life. But that's what the disciples were doing. They had, as far as they knew, absolutely zero ministry purpose at this wedding other than just to hang out with Jesus and have a good time. When is the last time you considered just hanging out with Jesus and having a good time? They were just hanging out. But Jesus was in their midst, and this would make all the difference in the world. Jesus was a part of the disciples' lives every day, not just on ministry days and not just in ministry ways. Say say two words. Say church days. All of us know we hang out with Jesus on church days. Like when you come to church, you're planning to hang out with Jesus. Even those of you who might not be followers of Jesus probably understand everyone else is here to do some kind of Jesus thing. On church days, we hang out with Jesus. Say, say these two words, ministry ways. When we're doing like ministry stuff, like when we're reading our Bible or when we're having our prayer time or when we're in a small group, like we know in the ministry things, like, yes, that's when you spend time with Jesus. But how about tomorrow at the office? How about on your drive to the office? How about it on the golf course? How about sitting in the stands at a football game? How about at a wedding reception? How about when you're out on the lake? How about when you're taking a walk with your crew that walks in the neighborhood? Like, have you learned how to implement Jesus into every single day of your life? See, we know what it looks like to be with Jesus on church days. We do that. We know what it looks like to be with Jesus in ministry ways. We might even have 15, 30 minutes set aside for that every day. But the disciples hung out with Jesus all the other times as well. And you say, Christian, is that even possible? I hope so, because we're told to try it. 
In Colossians 3, Paul tells the church in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, let me say it real clearly, whatever you do, including all the words you say and everything you'll ever do, whatever you do, like including every word you say and everything you ever do, man, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you're at the wedding, just realize Jesus is there. When you're driving to work, just realize Jesus is there. When you're watching your kid play sports, realize Jesus is there. When you're on the lake with your friends, realize Jesus is there. When you're sitting in the lunchroom at school, realize Jesus is there. Like, if you would, in everything you do, realize Jesus is there, it would change your life, and by changing your life, it would help you make a difference in somebody else's life. That was the life of the disciples, and what we have to realize when we look at their life is the first way Christians make a difference in the world is by making room for Jesus in their everyday lives. You say, I want to make a difference in the world. Then you got to make room for Jesus. You say, give me some ways to do that. I don't think that's the best way to go about. I don't think that's the best way to go about that. Because I think you have to figure out for your specific life, your specific schedule, your specific bent, I think you have to figure out how you're going to spend time with Jesus. So I've asked our small groups this week who do sermon-based small groups, I've asked all our small groups to discuss this question this week. How can we spend time with Jesus every day? Outside of church days, outside of ministry ways, what are some ideas that everyone has to spend time with Jesus every day. How do we do that? And then just have a discussion with people you know and love who know and love you and figure out together, how can we do this? That's how you begin to grow spiritually. Say, come on, Christian, give us just one idea. Okay, get a tattoo of the word Jesus. Um, That's one way to make sure you think of Jesus every day on your forehead. Like, I promise you, like, if you do that, if you do that, you say, are you kidding me? That's your idea. No, my idea is to go to small groups. I really want you to go to small groups. So if you're going you to say, no, I don't want to go to small groups, then get a tattoo on your forehead. I promise you, every day you will at least think about Jesus. Now listen, for, for the person out there who takes every word I say literally, don't get a tattoo on your face that says, Jesus, it will do the opposite of what you want it to do. Um, I promise you. But here's what's really clear about the disciples. They hung out with Jesus every day. They hung out with Jesus every day. Jesus wasn't a church thing. Jesus wasn't a quiet time thing. Jesus was a life thing. And more Christians, you say, I want to live making a difference. We got to figure out, and only you can do it for you. You got to figure out how to filter Jesus into every day of your life. When you do that, that will become a game changer. The second practice of people who live their life making a difference is they serve Jesus in the small things. They serve Jesus in the small things. However, there's a big thing that will keep you from serving Jesus in the small things. People who have the big thing taken care of Um, they will do whatever Jesus asks them to do. They'll really do it without even questioning it. They'll just do it, and they they will find in every their everyday life all these little ways that they are serving Jesus. You say, how do we serve Jesus in the small things? Well, first, you letter A, you have to learn what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. See, what we didn't get to because we started in John chapter 2 was in John chapter 1, Jesus asked these disciples who he had invited to hang out with him at a wedding, He'd ask them to leave everything to follow him with the promise that he would create in them who God had created them to be, and he would do for them what God had promised. He would be their savior. He would be their Lord. He would bring the fulfillment of all their hopes and dreams. In John chapter one, he had asked them to surrender everything. So in John chapter two, when he said, go get water, it was, it was, they had already surrendered to the big stuff. And when you surrender to the big stuff, it's easy to serve in the small stuff. But surrendering in the big areas, surrendering in the big areas is a must for people who want to walk with Jesus. And and when you've surrendered the big areas, it actually has real life implications on the small areas. Let me give you an example. In July, 
when it came out that, that it was going to be mandatory that if you, like, if you were going to go to church, you'd have to wear masks and church would have to post all the signs and you know, ask people to wear masks to come inside and, and do all that. Um, somebody, somebody asked me, Christian, what are, what are we going to do? And um, Christian, do you want to wear a mask? Let me answer that question. Do I want to wear a mask? Of course I don't want to wear a mask um, anywhere in life, not even on Halloween. I like dressing up in things that don't have to cover my face. Um, no, I don't want to. They said, well, will you to go to church? Will you to go to church? And I said, that decision was made far before the question was asked. Because I use often this verse, Galatians 2.20, when, I, when I'm asked about things that are uncomfortable to do, but that are part of my calling. I always go back to this verse in Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So I tell people, listen, my calling determines my conduct. My calling determines my conduct because my calling supersedes my circumstances. And I already surrendered to the big thing of every Sunday getting up and telling people about Jesus and using my gifts to teach the Bible. So when the small thing that is a true irritation comes, because I surrendered in the big things, that small decision's already been made. Like, I, I guess if that's what it takes, I have to, because my calling is not an option. And when I surrendered my life to Jesus, he said, here's what I'm, I've got for you on Sundays. So I just figure out how to lean into that, and I figure out how to do that. Calling determines conduct, and if you are a follower of Jesus, you may not know this, but you should. Somebody should tell you, you've been called to surrender your life, to live the life that he has for you. Um, let, me, let me give you a picture of this. Have any of you ever gone into a stadium where you have to, you have to go through, like, through the metal detector before you go, and they give you a place to you know, you get, take your keys out of your pocket and set the keys in and take your wallet out, and then you, know, you walk through, and it beeps, and like, oh, you forgot your cell phone. So then you got to go back through, and you got to take your cell, cell phone out, and then you go back through, and like, no, you got to take off your hat. And by the time you know it, like, you've taken off everything but your underwear. It's in a bucket beside you, and they're like, okay, now you can come through. It's like, this is crazy. Jesus said in Matthew 7, that when you follow him, you enter through a very narrow gate. You enter through a very narrow gate. And you need to picture the gate of salvation very much like the security things. Jesus says, when you come to my invitation to follow me, you need to understand at the security gate, all of your life gets put in the bucket, all of it. And you pass through with just your broken soul. And I, on the other side, I'll take that bucket, I'll filter through, and I'll give you back the things that'll be useful to you. I'll even redeem and clean up some of the areas of life that can still be useful to you. But I'm going to give you back so that you can use them the way I, I want you to use them. But you got to understand when you come to Jesus, your whole life gets surrendered and you pass through with nothing but a, but a broken soul. You have to understand that's what it means to follow Jesus. So you say, you know, you're, the way God made me, your personality profile, your disc profile, your, your Enneagram stuff goes in the bucket. Who you thought you were goes in, goes in, goes in the bucket. Your political bents go in the bucket. Your hobbies and habits go in the bucket. Your sexuality goes in the bucket. The, the hangups you have in life, the hurts you have in life, all those go in the bucket and you, pa you pass through with just your soul. And on the other side, you figure out what Jesus is gonna give you back and for what purposes. That's a picture of surrender. And man, there are so many self-help books floating around in the Christian world right now trying to make you feel good about yourself instead of understanding the brokenness that we carry. Listen, you don't present yourself to Jesus as fierce. You don't present yourself to Jesus as untamed. You don't present your glorious self to Jesus, look at me. You present your hopelessly broken self to Jesus, realizing he will accept you how you are, but then he will create in you who he actually created you to be. You surrender, you surrender.
And when you've done that, when he asks you to get the water, you get the water. It's easy to follow in the small steps when you've taken the big steps. You say, Christian, do you really believe that? Anybody remember the old song, all to Jesus I surrender? All to him I freely give. It's his. So you really believe that? I do. You say, why do you believe that? Because nobody yet has convinced me this verse is not true. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If that is true, then yes, I I believe surrender is an important part of it. And I believe when the big step of surrender is taken care of, the smaller steps then follow easy. What are some of the small steps that we see today? Obedience, obedience. What did Jesus' mother say? She said a small phrase that has some big implications. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. You say, how do I know if I've surrendered everything to Jesus? You figure out what your honest answer to this question is. Would you right now do whatever Jesus told you to do in whatever area of your life he told you to do it, trusting that it's actually the best thing for you? If your answer to that is not yes, then probably there's some things you're hanging on to. Would you right now do whatever Jesus tells you to do in whatever area of your life he tells you to do it, and would you do it believing that what he has given you is best for you. Would you do it financially? Would you do it relationally? Would you, would you do it within your schedule? Would you do it within your priorities? Because Jesus' mom gave, gave a blank check to the disciples. It was pretty big. And the blank check was this. You have signed up as a follower of Jesus to do whatever he tells you to do. And it's not just here. In Luke chapter 3, when Jesus' cousin John the Baptist was baptizing people to help people get ready for the Messiah, the Savior of the world who was coming, he told them, you're going to have to change the way you live life and think about life in order to connect and follow to the Messiah who's coming. And they begin to ask him questions, good questions. Well, what should we do then? He said, you're going to have to change your heart, your life. You're going to have to change how you think about things. You have to change really who you are to connect to the Messiah who's coming. And they said, well, what do we do then? What do we do? This, by the way, is a really good spiritual question. Now that I'm a follower of Jesus, what do I do? What do I do? So John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they ask, what should we do? It's the right question for a follower of Jesus. Now that I am following Jesus because I've surrendered everything, now what do I do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers ask him, what do we do? It's the right question spiritually. What do we do? He replied, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the right question when I become a follower of Jesus. I used to play golf every Sunday of my life before I became a follower of Jesus. Now what do I do? Right question. I used to lead by intimidation and bullying, but now I'm a follower of Jesus. Now what do I do? Right question. I'm gay, but I love Jesus. Now what do I do? Right question. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Surrender. Obedience. Now that I'm following Jesus, I know the script is new. What do I do now? Used to make all my money by ripping off other people. What do I do? Right question spiritually. And here's what you need to understand. Your spirit of surrender is actually more important than your daily success at obedience. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I have surrendered, but man, the things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't always do. 
working at obedience. Things God told me, don't ever do those again. I'm still doing those, working at obedience. But the spirit of surrender is there. You say, man, I know Christians who don't act like Christians. It may not be that they have not surrendered. It might just be that obedience is hard for them right now. Keep working, keep pushing. Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven. But Christians are people who have surrendered all to Jesus. I surrender all, all of it, all to Jesus. I surrender everything in me. I freely give to him. And then I ask, now, what do I do now that you have me now? What do I do now? How do I live this concept in American Christianity of mall Santa Jesus, where Jesus says, come sit on my lap. Just tell me what you need me to do for you. Folks, that ain't in here. Mall Santa Jesus, he's not in this book. I've read it. I've read it and studied it a bunch. I got three degrees. It says I know even how to learn from it a little bit. Mall Santa Jesus, come, just come sit on my lap. Tell me what you need me to do for you. It's not in there. That's not who he is. He says, you're going to come to a narrow gate. You're going to have to surrender everything. But I promise you, if you'll put your life in the bucket, what I will give you back on the other side will be the most fulfilling life you could ever lead. You'll be blessed and you will impact others by it. Surrender, obedience, and when you get to that point, you will be able to add some daily disciplines that help you keep Jesus in the center of your life. You might even write out beside the word disciplines. I think this is a Christian term. I think probably rituals or ceremonies would be the Jewish term that we're actually studying about in John chapter 2. Because in John chapter 2, we read this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each was holding from 20 to 30 gallons. If you have a pen, you might underline those two words, ceremonial washing. The Jews were obsessed in their culture with having things in their everyday life that would remind them that God was supposed to be at the center of their life. So every morning and every evening, there was a sacrifice made. Every morning and every evening to remind them, first thing that happened when they got up for bed, last thing they would do before they went to bed, they would be reminded that God was in the center. They had daily prayer times at 9 a.m., at noon, at 3 p.m. They would have these breaks. Why? Because by 9 a.m., they probably had their first meeting of the day and they needed to be reminded, thank God Jesus is still in charge. By noon, they had worked in the morning and they needed to be reminded God was in charge. By 3 p.m., they were ready to go home, quit their job and quit life. They needed to be remembered God was in charge. Like every day, if at 9, noon, noon and 3, you stop to remind yourself God was in charge, your whole life would probably go better if you just did those three things. On the doors of their homes, they would all have have a little box hanging on the door frame of their home called a mezuzah. If you've ever been to Israel, you have any Jewish friends, they probably still have these on their door frame. It's a little box. It's probably four to six inches long. It's an inch wide. It will have a little Hebrew letter on it. And inside it will have stuffed a verse of scripture that's, that's called the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And every time they would leave their house or come in their house, they would tap that and they would say that verse and they would be reminded, Today God is in charge. Today God is in charge. Today God is in charge. They're supposed to all point towards Jerusalem. So if you ever go to one of your Jewish friend's house and they have a masseuse on their door. Just look and you'll know which direction Jerusalem is. They had all these things built into their life. They had special blessings for every meal, every occasion, and they had ceremonial washing. Anytime they would enter or leave a dwelling, they would have ceremonial washing. As a matter of fact, the medical field learned how to scrub for surgery watching the Jewish ceremonial washings. It's the reason they wash and they let the water drip all the way down their elbows. They got that from Jewish ceremonial cleansing. If you go today to the wailing wall to pray, you'll see Jewish men who will pray and then they'll hold their hands up and let the water drip off their elbows. They're trying to cleanse their hands so their hands will be useful to God. And here are these six stone jars and they're empty. Now this makes no sense in Jewish culture. 
especially at a wedding. I mean, if there was ever a place to invite God to be in the center of, it's like at your wedding. And here are these six stone jars. They could have held 180 gallons of water for ceremonial cleansing. And they've not done that as a part of the wedding. Maybe that's why Mary invited Jesus. Maybe she knew God wasn't really in the center of this family. And she thought, you could help this somehow. We don't know all the answers. We just know that the jars were empty. And when the jars were empty, the people at that wedding at least couldn't have been reminded God is in the center. Some of you, the primary struggle you're having right now in your life is your jars are empty. You've not been doing the things every day to fill up your soul to be reminded God is still the center of my world. You're just not doing the little daily disciplines, time in the word, prayer, memorizing scripture, listening to worship music, being in a small group, being in men's group, women. You're just not doing the things that every day are filling up the buckets that remind you that God is the focus of everything. And if you will find your daily disciplines, you can stay focused every day on God. You say, now what are those, Christian? Honestly, you're gonna have to choose for yourself. Most people believe that mature Christianity is where they are spiritually, and they believe discipleship is how they got there. But honestly, people learn, people learn differently. Like, I love to read and study the Bible. Y'all know, like, Abraham never read and studied the Bible. There was no Bible, right? But he walked with God. So you, you've got to be able to walk with God without reading three or four chapters of your Bible every day. Um, like David. David walked with God by sitting against a tree playing his harp and writing poetry. That would kill me. That would drive me the other direction spiritually if I had to do that. Like, I'd rather be a scribe and have to write lines of Hebrew scripture all day long. Like, I'm just not shaped that way. You gotta figure out, how do you connect with God? It's another question for our small groups this week, for our small groups to ask each other, how do you connect with God on a daily basis? We did this exercise with our elders on Wednesday night at our monthly elders meeting, and we came up with nearly a dozen different ways. Everyone was different. What are the ways you connect with God best? And listening to people talk about the ways they see God on a daily basis. Like, oh, I could do that. I could do that. I've never done that, but I think I could do that. Learn how to add God into your life by building some daily disciplines, because here's what we learn in John chapter two, doing the ordinary and daily things like filling up the water jars. Doing the ordinary and daily things that keep your attention on Jesus places you in a spiritual environment of preparing to witness the supernatural. And that's what was going to happen in John chapter 2. The servants of Jesus had no idea what they were doing. They just thought they were getting water. But doing the ordinary daily things that kept God at the center were getting ready to allow their eyes to witness a miracle. When it comes to really making a difference, here's what we learn. The greatest difference you make is serving Jesus by serving others. You serve Jesus by choosing to serve others because when you do, do it, here is the supernatural miracle that occurs, verses eight through 11. Then he told them, draw some out after they filled up this water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, 180 gallons of wine. Now that's a party, right? Like now, now that's not a party I would go to. Um, 180 gallons of Diet Coke, I'm in. 180 gallons of sweet tea, I'm in. Um, 180 gallons, like taste it. 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, wow, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, be seven in the book, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here's what's so interesting about this miracle. 
The servants who were helping Jesus did not believe they were serving Jesus. Matter of fact, we don't even read that Jesus was thirsty. We don't read that he took a drink of wine. We don't think they were, they were doing what they were doing because Jesus needed a drink of something. They were serving everyone else because of how much they loved Jesus and they wanted to help him. And when you read through the story in John 2, there were a lot of people who were served. The master of the banquet was served. He was served first and he got to proclaim, it's good stuff, let the party continue. The bridegroom and his family were served. They would have been humiliated in the small little village of Cana to think that you would invite family and friends for a week of celebration and you could only provide enough food for two or three days. The bride and her family, who we think Jesus and Mary were somehow related to, they would have been served by Mary figuring out how to save the day by making sure the family was not humiliated, that the marriage ceremony did not end early. Jesus' mother, Mary, was served. She was the one who came and said, help, help. And he's like, okay, we can, we, can, we can do that. The guests were all served. They all got to continue drinking wine instead of water. Like everyone, was, we don't read Jesus was served. Everyone was served but Jesus. Yet, look who was seen, Jesus. Everyone else was served, but Jesus was seen. And when you look at this entire series about our desire for you to know God and be transformed and discover your purpose and to use it, we're asking you to do that in the world. But here's where you make the greatest difference in the world. When your life and the way you live your life helps people see Jesus, that is making a difference. That is making an eternal difference. And Journey, that's why we ask you to serve each other today so that people might see Jesus. Those of you who are greeters at the door, those of you who are working in our parking lot, those ushers who are helping people be seated, those people sitting in the production room and running cameras and switching stuff so that people outside and people sitting at home can be watching right now, those people who are with the infants and preschoolers in our kids' ministry and our kindergarten through fifth graders and those on Wednesday night who are serving teens. Like sometimes we don't feel like we're serving Jesus, but if we are serving others so they might see Jesus, there's no greater difference we can make in the world than by serving people with the right spirit, with our God-given gifts, in a way that ultimately helps them see past us to the Savior who lives inside of us, to the Savior who is behind us, to the Savior who's been telling us, fill up the water, go give them a drink. We think we're serving everyone else, but ultimately we're serving Jesus because that's who they see. And that's our goal. Because John 2.11 says, when they saw Jesus... What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. That word glory means weight. It means, it means matter. It means heavy. That's what it means. It says when they saw what the disciples were doing to serve people, Jesus began to matter more to them. They felt the weight of Jesus. They felt the weight of his power. They, they, they felt the heaviness of his glory in their midst. And, and when the disciples served... The people saw Jesus, and it wasn't that the disciples mattered more. It was that Jesus mattered more because of how his disciples served. So what we are hoping happens is we want to make a difference serving others so that they'll see Jesus. For those of you serving today in any way at all, thank you. For those who served last week, for those who will serve next week, thank you for serving others so that they might see Jesus. We believe the last four weeks has built a spiritual pathway that will help you fast forward your life to know God, be transformed, make a difference, uh, discover your purpose, 
Um, we believe in, in our church, we've got a little spiritual pathway put together for that called growth track. And it's our desire that you would give four hours of your life, four hours of your life between now and January 1 to go through this little papers inside your bulletin, what we call our growth track. Four steps to help you know God, to help you be transformed, to help you discover your purpose and help you make a difference. What is this designed to help you do? It's designed to help you figure out who God created you to be, to help you understand how to really know Jesus, to help you understand who God created you to be, and then to serve everyone in a way that when you serve them, they actually see Jesus. That's our goal. If you don't have a bulletin, you don't have that card, if you have a smartphone, you can text 474747, two words, journey growth. It's our goal, our entire church can go through it. Those of you who are with us online, we're gonna create a way for you to go through it virtually if you're not able to return between now and the end of the year. But it's our goal that our church would say, because of their desire for our world to see Jesus, just point me in the right direction. I've already surrendered everything. I've surrendered every minute of my life. Four more hours? Yeah, I'll figure that out between now and the end of the year. I've surrendered everything. Now just tell me what to do. I will be obedient and I will put things in my life every day to keep Jesus right in the center. If we will all get there together, if we will all get there together, our world, Lee Summit, Raymore, Jackson County, Cass County, those of you on the Kansas side, Maybe people will look at how we serve our master at the wedding feast. And just like the people of Cana, they'll think there's something to that Jesus guy. There's something to that Jesus guy that they're serving that I need to learn to see with my own eyes and feel with my own heart. If we can get there, we are making the eternal difference God has called us to make. Amen? Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But hearts are open. If you came in this morning separated from Jesus, we want you to leave connected to him. If you've never connected to the God of the universe through Jesus, if you don't know God, if he's not transformed your heart, if you have no idea why you're here, but you want to, your first step is to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. It is to surrender. It is to stop at the narrow gate and put all of your life into the basket, but to trust that Jesus will give you parts of it back that have been redeemed, that have been cleansed, that have been washed, that have been now made special so he can use you. If you've never connected to the God of the universe through Jesus, you can do that today. If you believe he's calling your heart to that, all you have to do is respond and say, yes. Yes, God, I'm not sure why you would want to be close to me, but yes, God, I'll give you all of my broken self if you'll help me. If you've never done that, scripture says if you believe in your heart that God is speaking to you, then you confess with your mouth, you pray. And you tell God, yes, I need that. If you've never done that, here, outside, watching online, all you gotta do is pray. I'll say a prayer you can repeat after me. You don't have to say it out loud. Don't even have to move your mouth. You can pray from your heart to heaven. Just pray something like this, Jesus, I need you in my life. Just repeat it after me in your heart. Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. I surrender my broken self to your gentle spirit. Come into my heart and my life. Lead me from this day forward. Today by faith, which means I don't understand it all but I feel led to commit to it. Today, by faith, I commit to follow Jesus and become a Christian. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Pastor Ryan's gonna tell you how you can let us know so that we can pray with you, pray for you, celebrate with you, give you some resources, help you in your new spiritual journey. It'd be our joy to do that. 
But before we close in prayer, let me talk to the Christians. Christians, heads bowed, eyes closed, but hearts open. Christians, those of you who are Christians, have you surrendered everything? Are you being obedient in the little things? Are your jars empty? Do you need some daily disciplines in order to keep Jesus in the center of your life? What's God said to you through what we've learned in John 2? That's the important question. What has God said to your heart as you've listened today? And what do you need to commit to this week to act upon it? That's sanctification. Taking a step away from your old life towards your new life. One step. What one step could you take today to begin to move towards Jesus? Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us a picture of who Jesus is, of how Jesus loves of how important and impactful it is to have Jesus in the center of our everyday lives. God, I pray that you will make us a people who have surrendered, who are obedient, who find the daily disciplines to keep you not just on church days and ministry ways present in our life, but every day, all day present in our life. And God, I pray that as we walk with you and serve you in the small ways, as we serve others, that people will see you, that you'll become real in their lives. You'll become heavy in their lives. They'll feel your love. They'll feel your grace. They'll feel your invitation and they'll respond. God, use the people of our church, surrender, obedient, ready to serve you so that the world may know who Jesus is. We pray through our church and our people and our surrender and our obedience that your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here at Journey as it would be in heaven. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our hands. We surrender our lives. We surrender it all to you. Tell us what to do. We'll be obedient. And God, if we are obedient, we know you'll make us impactful. We love you and we need you. We worship you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.